0: Chapter Thirteen of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Expedition by land, Wilson P. Hunt, his character, Donald MCKENZIE recruiting service among the voyageurs, a bark canoe, Chapel of Saint Anne, votive offerings, pious carousals, a ragged regiment, Mackinaw picture of a trading-post, frolicking voyageurs, swells and swaggerers, Indian coxcombs, a man of the north, jockeyship of voyageurs, inefficacy of gold, weight of a feather, Mr. Ramsey Crooks, his character, his risks among the Indians, his warning concerning Sioux and Blackfeet, embarkation of recruits, parting scenes between brothers cousins wives sweethearts and pot companions we have followed up the fortunes of the maritime part of this enterprise to the shores of the pacific and have conducted the affairs of the embryo establishment to the opening of the new year let us now turn back to the adventurous band to whom was entrusted the land expedition and who were to make their way to the mouth of the columbia up vast rivers across trackless plains and over the rugged barriers of the rocky mountains the conduct of this expedition as has been already mentioned was assigned to mr wilson price hunt of trenton new jersey one of the partners of the company who was ultimately to be at the head of the establishment at the mouth of the columbia he is represented as a man scrupulously upright and faithful in his dealings amicable in his disposition and of the most accommodating manners and his whole conduct will be found in unison with such a character he was not practically experienced in the indian trade that is to say he had never made any expeditions of traffic into the heart of the wilderness but he had been engaged in commerce at st louis then a frontier settlement on the mississippi where the chief branch of his business had consisted in furnishing indian traders with goods and equipments in this way he had acquired much knowledge of the trade at second hand and of the various tribes and the interior country over which it extended another of the partners mr donald mackenzie was associated with mr hunt in the expedition and excelled on those points in which the other was deficient for he had been ten years in the interior in the service of the northwest company and valued himself on his knowledge of woodcraft and the strategy of indian trade and indian warfare he had a frame seasoned to toils and hardships a spirit not to be intimidated and was reputed to be a remarkable shot which of itself was sufficient to give him renown upon the frontier mr hunt and his coadjutor repaired about the latter part of july eighteen ten to montreal the ancient emporium of the fur trade where everything requisite for the expedition could be procured one of the first objects was to recruit a complement of canadian voyageurs from the disbanded herd usually to be found loitering about the place a degree of jockeyship however is required for this service for a canadian voyageur is as full of latent tricks and vice as a horse and when he makes the greatest external promise is prone to prove the greatest take-in besides the Northwest company who maintained a long-established control at montreal and knew the qualities of every voyageur secretly interdicted the prime hands from engaging in this new service so that although liberal terms were offered few presented themselves but such as were not worth having from these mr hunt engaged a number sufficient as he supposed for present purposes and having laid in a supply of ammunition provisions and indian goods embarked all on board one of those great canoes at that time universally used by the fur traders for navigating the intricate and often obstructed rivers the canoe was between thirty and forty feet long and several feet in width constructed of birch bark sowed with fibres of the roots of the spruce tree and daubed with resin of the pine instead of tar the cargo was made up in packages weighing from ninety to one hundred pounds each for the facility of loading and unloading and of transportation at portages the canoe itself though capable of sustaining a freight of upwards of four tons could readily be carried on men's shoulders canoes of this size are generally managed by eight or ten men two of whom are picked veterans who receive double wages and are stationed one at the bow and the other at the stern to keep a lookout and to steer they are termed the foreman and the steersman the rest who ply the paddles are called middlemen when there is a favourable breeze the canoe is occasionally navigated with a sail the expedition took its regular departure as usual from st anne's near the extremity of the island of montreal the great starting-place of the traders to the interior here stood the ancient chapel of st anne the patroness of the canadian voyageurs where they made confession and offered up their vows previous to departing on any hazardous expedition the shrine of the saint was decorated with relics and votive offerings hung up by these superstitious beings either to propitiate her favour or in gratitude for some signal deliverance in the wilderness It was the custom, too, of these devout vagabonds, after leaving the chapel, to have a grand carouse, in honour of the saint, and for the prosperity of the voyage. In this part of their devotions, the crew of Mr. Hunt proved themselves by no means deficient. Indeed, he soon discovered that his recruits, enlisted at Montreal, were fit to vie with the ragged regiment of Falstaff. Some were able-bodied, but inexpert others were expert but lazy while a third class were expert and willing but totally worn out being broken-down veterans incapable of toil with this inefficient crew he made his way up the ottawa river and by the ancient route of the fur traders along a succession of small lakes and rivers to Michilimackinac. their progress was slow and tedious Mr. Hunt was not accustomed to the management of voyageurs, and he had a crew admirably disposed to play the old soldier and balk their work, and ever ready to come to a halt, land, make a fire, put on the great pot, and smoke and gossip and sing by the hour. It was not until the twenty second of July that they arrived at Mackinac, situated on the island of the same name, at the confluence of Lakes Huron and Michigan this famous old french trading post continued to be a rallying point for a multifarious and motley population the inhabitants were amphibious in their habits most of them being or having been voyageurs or canoe men it was the great place of arrival and departure of the southwest fur trade here the mackinaw company had established its principal post from whence it communicated with the interior and with montreal Hence, its various traders and trappers set out for their respective destinations about Lake Superior and its tributary waters, or for the Mississippi, the Arkansas, the Missouri, and the other regions of the west. Here, after the absence of a year or more, they returned with their peltries and settled their accounts. The furs rendered in by them being transmitted in canoes from hence to Montreal. Mackinaw was therefore for a great part of the year very scantily peopled but at certain seasons the traders arrived from all points with their crews of voyageurs and the place swarmed like a hive mackinaw at that time was a mere village stretching along a small bay with a fine broad beach in front of its principal row of houses and dominated by the old fort which crowned an impending height the beach was a kind of public promenade where were displayed all the vagaries of a seaport on the arrival of a fleet from a long cruise here voyageurs frolicked away their wages fiddling and dancing in the booths and cabins buying all kinds of knick-knacks dressing themselves out finely and parading up and down like arrant braggarts and coxcombs sometimes they met with rival coxcombs in the young indians from the opposite shore who would appear on the beach painted and decorated in fantastic style and would saunter up and down to be gazed at and admired Perfectly satisfied that they eclipsed their pale faced competitors. Now and then, a chance party of Northwesters appeared at Mackinac from the rendezvous at Fort William. These held themselves up as the chivalry of the fur trade. They were men of iron, proof against cold weather, hard fare, and perils of all kinds. Some would wear the Northwest button and a formidable dirk and assume something of a military air they generally wore feathers in their hats and affected the brave je suis un homme du nord i am a man of the north one of these swelling fellows would exclaim sticking his arms akimbo and ruffling by the southwesters, whom he regarded with great contempt as men softened by mild climates and the luxurious fare of bread and bacon and whom he stigmatized with the inglorious name of pork eaters the superiority assumed by these vainglorious swaggerers was in general tacitly admitted indeed some of them had acquired great notoriety for deeds of hardihood and courage for the fur trade had its heroes whose names resounded throughout the wilderness such was mackinaw at the time of which we are treating it now, doubtless, presents a totally different aspect. The fur companies no longer assemble there, the navigation of the lake is carried on by steamboats and various shipping, and the race of traders and trappers and voyageurs and Indian dandies have vapored out their brief hour and disappeared. Such changes does the lapse of a handful of years make in this ever-changing country at this place mr hunt remained for some time to complete his assortment of indian goods and to increase his number of voyageurs as well as to engage some of a more efficient character than those enlisted at montreal and now commenced another game of jockeyship there were able and efficient men in abundance at Mackinac, but for several days not one presented himself if offers were made to any they were listened to with a shake of the head should any one seem inclined to enlist there were officious idlers and busybodies of that class who are ever ready to dissuade others from any enterprise in which they themselves have no concern these would pull him by the sleeve take him on one side and murmur in his ear or would suggest difficulties outright it was objected that the expedition would have to navigate unknown rivers and pass through howling wildernesses infested by savage tribes who had already cut off the unfortunate voyageurs that had ventured among them that it was to climb the rocky mountains and descend into desolate and famished regions where the traveller was often obliged to subsist on grasshoppers and crickets or to kill his own horse for food at length one man was hardy enough to engage and he was used like a stool-pigeon to decoy others but several days elapsed before any more could be prevailed upon to join him a few then came to terms it was desirable to engage them for five years but some refused to engage for more than three then they must have a part of their pay in advance which was readily granted when they had pocketed the amount and squandered it in regales or in outfits they began to talk of pecuniary obligations at mackinaw which must be discharged before they would be free to depart or engagements with other persons which were only to be cancelled by a reasonable consideration it was in vain to argue or remonstrate the money advanced had already been sacked and spent and must be lost and the recruits left behind unless they could be freed from their debts and engagements accordingly a fine was paid for one a judgment for another a tavern bill for a third and almost all had to be bought off from some prior engagement either real or pretended mr hunt groaned in spirit at the incessant and unreasonable demands of these worthies upon his purse yet with all this outlay of funds the number recruited was but scanty and many of the most desirable still held themselves aloof and were not to be caught by a golden bait with these he tried another temptation among the recruits who had enlisted he distributed feathers and ostrich plumes these they put in their hats and thus figured about Mackinac, assuming airs of vast importance, as voyageurs in a new company that was to eclipse the Northwest. The effect was complete. A French Canadian is too vain and mercurial a being to withstand the finery and ostentation of the feather. Numbers immediately pressed into the service one must have an ostrich-plume, another a white feather with a red end, a third a bunch of cock's tails. Thus all paraded about, in vainglorious style, more delighted with the feathers in their hats than with the money in their pockets, and considering themselves fully equal to the boastful men of the North." While thus recruiting the number of rank and file, Mr. Hunt was joined by a person whom he had invited by letter to engage as a partner in the expedition. This was Mr. Ramsey Crooks, a young man, a native of Scotland, who had served under the Northwest Company and been engaged in trading expeditions upon his individual account among the tribes of the Missouri mr hunt knew him personally and had conceived a high and merited opinion of his judgment enterprise and integrity he was rejoiced therefore when the latter consented to accompany him mr crookes however drew from experience a picture of the dangers to which they would be subjected and urged the importance of going with a considerable force in ascending the upper missouri they would have to pass through the country of the sioux indians who had manifested repeated hostility to the white traders and rendered their expeditions extremely perilous firing upon them from the river banks as they passed beneath in their boats and attacking them in their encampments mr crooks himself when voyaging in company with another trader of the name of mcclellan had been interrupted by these marauders and had considered himself fortunate in escaping down the river without loss of life or property but with the total abandonment of his trading voyage should they be fortunate enough to pass through the country of the sioux without molestation they would have another tribe still more savage and warlike beyond and deadly foes of white men these were the blackfeet indians who ranged over a wide extent of country which they would have to traverse under all these circumstances it was thought advisable to augment the party considerably it already exceeded the number of thirty to which it had originally been limited but it was determined on arriving at st louis to increase it to the number of sixty these matters being arranged, they prepared to embark, but the embarkation of a crew of Canadian voyageurs on a distant expedition is not so easy a matter as might be imagined, especially of such a set of vainglorious fellows with money in both pockets, and cocks' tails in their hats. Like sailors, the Canadian voyageurs generally preface a long cruise with a carouse, they have their cronies their brothers their cousins their wives their sweethearts all to be entertained at their expense they feast they fiddle they drink they sing they dance they frolic and fight until they are all as mad as so many drunken indians the publicans are all obedience to their commands never hesitating to let them run up scores without limit knowing that when their own money is expended the purses of their employers must answer for the bill or the voyage must be delayed neither was it possible at that time to remedy the matter at mackinaw in that amphibious community there was always a propensity to rest the laws in favor of riotous and mutinous boatmen it was necessary also to keep the recruits in good humour seeing the novelty and danger of the service into which they were entering and the ease with which they might at any time escape it by jumping into a canoe and going down-stream such were the scenes that beset mr hunt and gave him a foretaste of the difficulties of his command the little cabarets and sutler's shops along the bay resounded with the scraping of fiddles with snatches of old french songs with indian whoops and yells while every plumed and feathered vagabond had his troop of loving cousins and comrades at his heels it was with the utmost difficulty that they could be extricated from the clutches of the publicans and the embraces of their pot companions who followed them to the water's edge, with many a hug, a kiss on each cheek, and a maudlin benediction in Canadian French. It was about the 12th of August that they left Mackinac, and pursued the usual route by Green Bay, Fox, and Wisconsin rivers to Prairie du Chien, and thence down the Mississippi to St. Louis, where they landed on the 3rd of September. End of chapter 13